0: What's up Charleston? This is the Healthy Charleston Podcast hosted by yours truly Eve Gigi where we talk all things health related. We're going to talk about all sorts of health information as well as hopefully clear up all sorts of terrible health misinformation. What's up, Charleston? This is the Healthy Charleston Podcast hosted by yours truly, Eve, Gigi, and Dr. Wes Hendricks, who is still on sabbatical, but he has promised he'll be back in November. We're gonna talk about all things health-related. We're gonna talk about all sorts of health information, as well as get through all sorts of terrible health misinformation. And I have just this feeling that today... We're going to get through a lot of terrible health misinformation and get you on the other side where it's going to be magical. So, today we got Dr. Adam Perlman, and he specializes in integrative functional medicine, which I am very interested in and can't wait to kind of dig into his story. Dr. Perlman, welcome.
1: Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah, we're really, really excited. So, again, we're the path of functional integrative medicine, I know that a ton of people have heard that before nowadays, and it's becoming more of a buzzword. So I think the first thing that most people are asking themselves is, is what is that? You know, what is functional integrative medicine? How do you, you know, what's the difference between that and what common Western medicine
1: is? Sure. Yeah, I get that question a lot. And it's interesting, um, having been practicing integrative medicine for over 20 years, and uh, developed one of the earlier hospital-based integrative medicine programs. I remember back then when we even decided to call it integrative, that was a relatively new term. And mm-hmm. for years, no one kind of knew what it was. And um, and people are getting more familiar with that term now. And over the last decade or so, maybe a little bit more, this um, concept or approach called functional medicine now is beginning to gain a lot of traction and again people are kind of confused so let me let me give yeah Yeah. buzzwords i mean they're more than let me give you my take on it again you know different people may sort of see this a little bit differently but sure when i talk about uh integrative medicine you know in a general sense i tend to think of sort of three main philosophical underpinnings and this is not to say that integrative medicine owns these but this Mm -hmm. is sort of those of us who've been interested in integrative medicine we tend to focus on this the first is this idea of partnering, truly partnering with patients and, and a patient-centered approach to care. Now, of course, patient-centered care is a part of conventional medicine now. You you would think you would think well no. it gets talked about, you know, you yeah. know, and, 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 I feel like
0: they were losing that for sure. And that's part but we can, you know, again, put aside. Yeah.
1: Certainly many primary care docs, others would yeah. say, look, that's a big emphasis on what we're what we do and the way we're trying to practice. And um, I think, you know, to me, patient-centered care is kinda like the word wellness <laughs> well-being mm-hmm. like you know everyone you never know quite know what people are talking about or how they're actually defining it i mean for me it means we put the patient at the center and we really want to understand what their health related goals are really what do they want their health for um we want to make sure that we're being respectful to sort of Their particular health beliefs and paradigm that they're most comfortable with and and trying to get them the outcomes that they're looking for, obviously, using the approach that they're most comfortable with. And so for me as an integrative doc, if someone comes to my practice and they really wanted medicine for something, and I think that'll help. And Mm -hmm. and that's that's the answer. Uh, I may provide options beyond uh the typical conventional approach for them to consider but it's not for me to dictate so that really to me is the second caveat which is integrative medicine you know i think we uh take what i hope is for most of us an evidence-based approach to looking at uh let's say therapeutic options that um often fall outside of mainstream street medicine and um by that i mean In addition to all of the things you might find in a conventional prose medication referral for surgery if you're not a surgeon, things like that, uh, it would include things like acupuncture, massage, dietary supplements. So for someone like myself, since I didn't get a lot of that training in medical school and I was interested in the evidence base for many of those interventions, I spent a lot of time and still do studying the research to understand when might be acupuncture when might that be effective and mm-hmm. appropriate for what conditions or in in, in my case too because i have an academic background uh, at times doing that research so one of my areas, i've had one of the largest uh massage studies in the country looking at massage for arthritis of the knee so we wanted to understand a lot of people use massage for pain a lot of those people are using it because they have arthritis you know does it actually work it hadn't really been studied up until the first clinical trial that we did a number of years ago and yep. You know, our last trial, we had a site at Yale, we had a site at Duke where I was and and a site at uh, Rutgers in New Jersey, you know, and and these three sites, we were doing this study trying to understand what does it work? Is it safe? These kind of things. And so that's where the second piece for me is trying to look at the evidence and and sort of expand the therapeutic options. But I would say personally, the third principle is what resonates the most with me, which is, I think there's often an emphasis on certainly prevention and lifestyle But for me personally, and I don't know if every integrative doc thinks this way, it's really how do we help? How do we go beyond getting people back to a baseline, to a place where they're really optimizing their vitality, exploring this potential inside of themselves to be as healthy as they can be? I
0: knew I was going to love this podcast. You're just speaking my
1: language. So mentally, physically and spiritually. Mm -hmm. And I do talk to my patients about spirituality. It isn't necessarily need to come from religion uh, in in you know, my the medical setting that I'm yeah. in, but it's purpose and meaning, and and you know, again, what do you want your health for? These kind of things. So if you're fighting a terminal illness, you know, or potentially terminal illness, you know, if you don't have a good sense of why you want to go through all you need to go through to beat this thing, you often have a very different journey uh, than someone who really knows why it's important to to sort of uh, to fight and and do all you need to to beat something like cancer, for example.
0: Right. Right. What I love that you talked about, and I feel like it's one of the big things that we're lacking in quote, modern medicine is taking into account the patient's beliefs. Cause like we're talking about evidence-based medicine, totally something that we as physical therapists and I personally look into quite a bit. And I think you definitely understand this as well, that if you don't take into account patient beliefs. Those outcomes will drop no matter what they are. Right. Like that's a big piece of having a successful outcome is understanding what the outcome is first, not the outcome just being the absence of
1: disease. So I'll I'll give you an example of that. But I want to put a caveat on this that I'm proud to be a physician. I'm proud to be a conventionally trained physician. You know, I'm not a slammer. I mean, of course, there are problems with our healthcare system like it like was anything right Medicine and, and isn't
0: perfect in the first of course and yeah. and so
1: i'm not like oh these doctors i i sure. you know i, I try I
0: not to do that although yeah. i've been told that i lean too much well, on that side i but just yeah. don't feel that way yeah. but I, you know
1: there are things so taking patients beliefs into consideration is you know that's one of the ethical underpinnings of modern medicine and, and yeah. so it's not like it doesn't exist i think the reality is that the current system the way it's set up the way reimbursement is set up and mm-hmm. the pressures to sort of on volume and and other aspects of this system can make it very difficult to really engage in the kind of conversation that one needs to engage in to really get at some of those deeper levels of understanding when it comes to what a patient really wants and their beliefs. Cause it right. takes
0: time. I mean, I see people for an hour a week for weeks at a time and sometimes I can't get to those people. Yeah. So I understand. understand. Yeah. But
1: I'll give you an example. And again, with love in my heart, and I, yeah. because the physician is a friend of mine and you yeah. know, someone I respect very much, but I think you'll appreciate this with your physical therapy background. So I um, did martial arts for years. And i tell you about that later. That's what actually okay. got me into medicine was so about really? 18 years, studying okay. martial arts. And um, stopped doing it. You know, I mean, I started when I was 16, so I stopped doing it. I don't know what it is now, I'm 52. So, you know, I, I forget exactly, let's say 20 years ago, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. I stopped doing it. C- continue to work out very regularly. I'm, I'm a sort of exercise fanatic kind of person and, and enthusiast. Yeah, um, there you go. <laughs> and um, at one point when I was about 40s, maybe about 12 years ago, I, I, think I was doing spin classes, some other things, just mixing it up, you know, and, and, um, I started getting some left hip pain. I was like, "Oh, that hip's kind of bothering me. What's going on there? Maybe it's the spinning. I don't know." I cut back on spinning. Hip pain didn't go away. So after after a few weeks, I, I was in New Jersey at this point. I was running the integrative program at a uh, healthcare system there, and across the hall was the physical medicine and rehab chairman. You know, okay. so I a friend of mine. I went over and said, "Hey, John, take look at my hip. I don't been... Yeah, so he See, does what he here. does, and he's yeah. like, eh, "You know, let's get an MRI." Right? Yeah. <laughs> Not surprisingly, right? So I, I get the MRI and long story short, um, moderately severe arthritis in that left hip. And, and, you know, I, I kind of saw some local orthopedic docs and they're like, Oh, it must've been the martial arts. I'm like, yeah, but I never had a hip problem. I never had hip pain. Like, well, what do you mean? And so, That's and I cool got this sort of, there. right. Well, <laughs> yeah. you are gonna you'll see yeah. the diagnosis in me, but I said, come back and see, they said kind of come back and see me when you need a hip replacement, yeah. which I was totally not satisfied with. So at one point I said to, Another guy was across the hall, ran this sports medicine training thing. And I said, look, I was in New Jersey. I said, who does hips for the Giants, right? Yeah. Or, or the Jets? Give me the guy. Give me the guy. Yes. And he said, go into hospital special surgery, see this doctor. And I saw Dr. Paget in there. And he looked at my films. He heard my story just for like 10 minutes. And he said, do you want to know what you have? And I said, sure. He said, you had a slipped capital epiphysis for your listeners that don't know. Slipped growth plate in your hip
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, when you were younger. And so your hip just didn't quite form. Right. And, and he said, they see the martial artists dancers. I would have got arthritis at 60, but I got it at 40. Cause I get all this kicking. Cause he still gave me the same answer. Keep doing what you're doing, which I was doing a lot of exercise yep. and, you know, acupuncture, massage, whatever. And when you're ready, at some point you'll need a hip replacement, which at least gave me an answer as to why this was going, why it was happening and which is important. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. you know, it was so, so now, I, I probably was good for maybe another four years or so and it got to the point I couldn't sleep at night without taking medicine and couldn't really do the things I like to do without yep. you know uh, and so um, decided to get the hip replacement again this may be uh, too much info for your listeners but I got the partial so I didn't get a total hip because they don't have to break the bone and they leave more bone so that's again they just put a uh, kind of open uh, the hip and they sand it down and put a cap on and a new lining into the joint and then put it all back together. It's a little
0: less invasive. I've seen hip replacement. Went and saw surgery. It's like carpentry work. There's hammering, there's cutting. This is a little bit less of that basically. It is less invasive.
1: Again, maybe not the, uh, the reason I did it was because since they leave more bone and since the hip replacements typically last 20 years or so, Mm -hmm. God willing, I'll live long enough to need a replacement. And it's easier to do the redo if you've only had the resurfacing. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was actually the the kicker and why I ended up doing it. Um,
0: Repave the road instead of destroy the road and rebuild
1: it. And and I got to tell you, by the way, this was the piece. So besides the fact that I couldn't sleep, I couldn't get my sock on. You know, I mean, I could, I have to put my foot up. And I think the kicker was one day, you know, at 44, 45 years old in really good shape, I looked over at my wife and I said, I think I'm going to have to ask you to cut my toenails because I just couldn't, like I was losing flexibility hip in rotation hip. is
0: one of the common capsular patterns. It with couldn't get in there changes. Yeah.
1: So, so those were like Michael, so now I get the hip done and for whatever reason I have an impingement. I don't get the full movement of my uh, knee coming up. Like I still can't get that sock on and I'm still mm-hmm. having, And I get some little back pain and other things that kind sure. of threw my body off. And I did all kinds of therapy and, different types of PT and different people and, and acupuncture and everything else. And at one point, you know, this is maybe like eight months into it, you know, or so and they're doing different X, X-rays, you know, the orthopedic doc says to me, cause I'm, he goes, you know, by our criteria, this was a total success. And I said, you know, I think I get to decide yeah. what success here, you know, sure. it's not about that you can move the hip to a particular angle of degrees that fits some criteria for you. Right. I want to be able to put my sock on in the morning without having to put it up on a bench. Right. You know, I want to be able to cut my own toenails without needing to kind of put myself into a yoga position to try to get there. And so, you know, it's a different kind of perspective back to why we even started this part of the Mm -hmm. conversation. You know, what, what do people want? I was going to say patients, but what do people really want in their lives as it relates to their health? You know, this, what do I want my health for? And, and what we often tend to do, and, you know, I'm trained as an internist, internal medicine, and it's really important. You know, I trained real well on how to get people's blood pressure back to a normal range or their glucose back to a normal range. But then very often we feel like we're done. We've gotten them back to this baseline that typically as it relates to their total life is Mm -hmm. is suboptimal for most people, right? Just because that blood pressure is normal doesn't mean they have the energy they want to play with their grandkids Mm -hmm. or take the bike ride or the hike with their spouse or whatever the case may be. So that for me is something that I became particularly interested in and focused on now. How do we help people to sort of explore this potential inside of themselves? Not that we all can or should be able to run marathons, but What's the potential inside of me or you at this point in your life?
0: Yeah, that stuff's so interesting. I, I took a deep dive maybe three years ago. I was um, selling my insurance-based practice. I had about four months where I was just kind of, let's call it living the dream, you know, in between jobs, hanging out with my kids and loving it. And I just had some, I had low energy level. I didn't know what was going on. A friend of mine knew a functional medicine doc got some blood work done and took kind of a deep dive of what those meant. And I, as hard as I'd looked, could not find anything, what you just talked about of within normal limits, we call it PT to find what optimal levels were for somebody my age. I just wanted to find the information. I couldn't even find that, you know, even here in Charleston, trying to find a primary care physician or internist or functional medicine doc was, I still really haven't found one, you know, a few kind of, but like I want to find somebody who can tell me to like, you know, to, to quote something that's on Instagram to live my best life. Like I want everything to be optimal levels. And I want someone to tell me how to get to those optimal levels and have options doing that. But you also, you just talked about, like I don't want to just know how to take a pill to get there. I'd like to know, okay, you need to to walk 30 minutes in the sunlight or you need to get more exercise. Or for me it was like less exercise at the time because at these high cortisol levels, but it's just, I want like almost like a, a health coach, another buzzword, but I want, that kind of merge, which I like, which is kind of alluding to what integrative me- medicine. I feel like is trying to fill this gap
1: of, of, uh, you know, optimal levels and where it need yeah. to be. Well, there's so much you've said there. And I don't know. No, it's okay. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I mean, I, we should make sure that I, I at some point at least give my take on yeah. how functional medicine would differ from integrative, but let okay. me just respond. And I can do it, you know, to what you said about optimal levels. because yeah. It's challenging because a, it, it, it's not, It's not the mindset that we've had with conventional Western medicine, right? It's been more about treating disease. And so there really isn't the level of evidence that you would want, you know, in terms of what an optimal level is, right? We know Mm -hmm. what happens to people if they don't have enough vitamin C over a period of time. They develop scurvy. Sure, We don't know what the optimal level of vitamin C is for you. Now, we have inklings of information, like we know that you probably can only absorb about 500 milligrams at a time. So if you're taking 2000 at one sitting, you know, you're just peeing out 1500 yeah. milligrams, we can get higher with IV, but then it comes down quickly. So we have those kind of studies mm-hmm. and sometimes that information people don't quite understand. Yeah, But, you know, it also comes down to, because when we're talking about optimal, very often it's really for whom, right? And, and, and one of the biggest things I like to say, and the, my biggest takeaway is always you need to become the expert on you you know, particularly in the case of what is it that I need to do to optimize my vitality? Yeah. Because it's, you know, there's there's limited data that will suggest certain directions to take or things to try, but then how does your body respond? And, you know, overall medicine's moving in that direction. Yeah. And, and not only medicine, I mean, all these, you know, things that we can measure now through our watches and soon to be our oh, shirts and this and that, you know.
0: It's going to be really, right. We're going to yep.
1: biohack or whatever, yeah. uh, you know, that, and we'll, we'll be able to have, take a much more personalized approach to our well-being. But a lot of the uh, at least data to really or research to tell exactly how to do that is is uh, limited. Let me yeah. sort of say okay. it that okay. way. We're,
0: and then that rabbit hole.
1: I, yeah, from, it can we're be not, a you know, hole. It's yeah. crazy.
0: For yeah. me, it's like, okay, you have a subjective feeling of what optimal is, right? This kind of what you alluded to. I call it N equals one, right? You're your own self-experiment. What feels good to you? But there's got to be some sort of marker there that says you're feeling good. Like I've heard of some where like your resting heart rate is a certain or your variability, you can measure it and how much sleep you're getting. Like that's the other thing I'm interested in. Like how can we even – what measurements should we be taking that has somebody in the healthy range? Right. You know what I mean? Is there there this like one marker that could just – your glucose levels always here or your resting heart rate's always here or your variability only fluctuates this much like that's we don't even know that either correct as far as like what makes somebody truly internally healthy and that's like a standard
1: yeah you know, i mean or optimal i should say certainly in terms of the one thing but yeah. but i think you know with again you said quite a bit there yeah. I mean, the like heart rate variability there's there's actually a really good body of literature on heart rate variability mm-hmm. looking at everything from Uh, I I don't know for your listeners maybe I can explain it if you haven't I mean so basically although when you're taking your pulse if you're kind of calm it may feel like the beat feels very regular there's minute sort of beat to beat variability which is a very healthy thing it's a sign of good parasympathetic tone which is the more relaxation tone compared to sympathetic fight or flight and there's data for example that when you begin to lose heart rate variability for example patients in the intensive care unit that's a poor prognostic indicator so but where we tend to think of it in the wellness space is, again, this marker of parasympathetic tone and things like heart math, biofeedback, yeah. helping us to that get into, more right, that. improve yeah. our, that works by, you know, the math is we're looking at our heart rate variability mm-hmm. and measuring that and seeing that improve as we meditate or focus on gratitude as some of the instructions for our heart math will have you do. Yep. So I think there's, an, there's a lot of those sort of biomarkers and things that we can measure. Uh, again with varying degrees of evidence and but you could also drive yourself nuts i mean because right. it's, it's, it's never ending and <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know and and so you know you got to ultimately figure out what works best for you yeah. and and you know how do you feel and then it's not only physiologically it's sort of mentally and yeah you know all that and so it's
0: yeah i'll pull us out of the rabbit hole because that's yeah. already a ton to munch on no problem so so tell us a little bit about how you because i mean just like you said most mds don't get this type of training Right. So you had to have developed A an interest in medicine. Yeah. And then B a secondary interest of like, hey, let's let's I'm gonna be frank, challenge some of these ideas and go a little deeper. So give us a little story about that.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you that. And then I think because that'll lead into my quick thing about what functional medicine is, and then I won't okay. forget to have done that. Okay, so, yep. So um so for me, I mean it, it actually started with oh, with martial arts. I mean, although I was exposed to medicine, my, my dad actually ran a hospital when I was younger. I met my wife thirty two years ago at a hospital, but I was uh trimming the bushes and at that point picking the cigarette butts out from the front uh, of the hospital and she was working medical records even though she's a nurse I'm a doctor now neither one of us thought of doing that at that point interesting um
0: what age was that
1: we met at 19 okay gotcha 19 almost 33 almost 33 years ago so um anyway so uh, and I was into martial arts at that point, And, and, and one of the things like at one point I actually applied to law school and got into law school. I was going to be a lawyer and um you know, more lawyer businessman. I was thinking maybe law as a background for business, I always been kind of entrepreneurial in the way mm-hmm. I think. And, and was, I think owning a, at one point for a short period of time with some other people owned a, owned a martial arts school for a little while. Okay. So, you know, always kind of had that entrepreneurial spirit, but even after I was accepted, I, w- I hadn't started yet. I was sort of, maybe it was the beginning, I think of my senior year, something like that. And, uh, you know, it's a complicated story, but I realized that, that what I really loved about the martial arts, which in some ways was all I really wanted to do at that point in my life. Um, Be professional mar- martial arts, you know, and yeah. And, yeah, and you know, I don't know my uh, grandmother sort of grabbed me and pinched my cheek and said, you want to go find a we real a career, real right? I mean, that's, yeah, not to insult little, any professional yeah. martial artists out there, but, uh, yeah. you know, that was my grandmother's take on it. So mm-hmm. um, needless to say, I, I, I did decide to go and I had to do all my pre-med, post-baccalaureate. I mean, I was fascinated, you know, the kick and punch was fun, but, you know, after a number of years, it was much more than kick or punch. It was the art form. It was It was this aspect of, incorporating these things from other healing traditions, I mean, and, and philosophically sort of East Asian philosophy on some of these things. And, and, um, that ultimately allowed people to live a healthier life, right? Physically, mentally, spiritually. And and that was, I was on my own personal journey and mm-hmm. wondered why we didn't incorporate more of this into conventional medicine, you know, like Tai Chi or Qigong, or even some of the things I was learning that was probably a little more folk medicine, but like foods to eat or, for different things and you know like in the master was korean and in yeah. korea one of the traditional things that is done is after you have a baby they you have this seaweed soup milk soup and you know we i would do that we have five kids actually and uh and you know i remember going and we got a recipe we made it one time i just picked it up at a korean restaurant i called ahead like on the way yeah. back from the hospital to pick up this pot of milk soup from my wife awesome. and i walk in and the woman literally looked at me and said you're not korean and i said yeah no kidding yeah uh, <laughs> So um, you know things like that, I found fascinating. Of course, then when you look at it, gee, uh, woman needs a lot of iron after childbirth, and seaweed has a lot of iron in it, and other you know. So again, there was reasons why traditionally, over generations, we learned to do different things that were benefiting our yeah, health. Yeah, they
0: may not have worked. The reason we thought they did, they may not have, right. but still, they were doing something just yeah. because of trial and
1: error, but yeah. And I'm not suggesting we do everything that we used to do. Cause we'd be doing a lot of things. Yeah. Maybe we, aren't we, so, we, yeah, we, exactly. We, you know what I mean? May not well, be
0: good for everybody. It may,
1: you know, may not for, be right. So, um, <laughs> anyway, so that was really part of the motivation of, 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 uh, going. And that's the way I used to, that's kind of the story I used to tell. I mean, in that regard, um, I knew I wanted to go into integrative medicine even before I went to medical school. And I, oh, wow. I had read several times, you know, Sun Tzu, the art of war. Sure. And I, uh remained formless like the water as Sun Tzu would say and and you know didn't really talk much about it because you couldn't talk about it. back then it was an alternative medicine even though integrated was just starting to come yeah. out as a term. And you know, I was studying at Boston University and you know and, and B U Medical School and uh, you know there wasn't a lot of openness. And so right. so you know I kept it relatively quiet but there were people that did know. And, and again, 1998, finishing up a research fellowship. So I went and did a research fellowship because I realized from some of the sort of, when I would share it, sort of the feedback I got, which was often like, ah, show me the evidence. There's no evidence that I needed to have, you know, enough diplomas on my wall and, and understand the research world. And mm-hmm. be- because I was interested in trying to m- bring about change from within, uh, you know, again, I could have gone a very different route. I probably would have been happy and could have gone the route of sort of getting a degree in Oriental Medicine or whatever, which I was very fascinated with. But I sort of saw my own personal mission as wanting to try to transform the, yeah. the system. And so
0: because it would have been more of a defied, which is very similar. Yeah. You could have chosen one path. or The other but it's like, hey, I'm going to choose this path and I'm going to try just like you said, I love that idea of starting to change things. Yeah. Within and become open to new ideas. Not necessarily you're wrong, I'm right. It's hey, there's alternative ways to think about this. We don't need to think about this just in this one singular way. Right. Which is I feel a lot of people don't do. It's becoming a little bit more, but it's also human nature, right? It's just it, it you know, is. Yeah.
1: And I was legitimately curious about what did work and what didn't, and mm-hmm. felt that even for the naysayers, so to speak, I mean, my argument Many times, many, many presentations that I've given to physician audiences is if we just poo poo it, like, oh, there's no evidence for this, then patients, people will go and get evidence wherever they can, very often the internet. And, yeah. you know, it's put there often by, you know, who knows, companies that make the product and whatever. And I felt that ideally people should be able to turn to their physicians or other healthcare providers. For reliable information, and, and to be able to do that, we needed to educate ourselves. And so, to me, there was an argument and responsibility on the part of the healthcare system to train and to have you know healthcare providers that understand this broader evidence, uh, for interventions. And yeah, I mean, so, um, that was the kind of motivation behind it. And, and again, it the plan worked, and that I was very fortunate through, to. Be hired right after this research fellowship in 1998, to, as I said, develop one of the earlier hospital-based integrative medicine programs. After a few years, I shifted more of my time over to. Um, this was in Livingston, New Jersey, uh, what was then the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey. It's now Rutgers. So I was in Newark okay. a lot of my time, most of the time, and took on a lot of administrative role there and 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 more of a leadership role. Did still did some research, kept up a clinical practice one day a week, but in the integrative side and then began to get interested in integrative medicine, probably about a decade a functional medicine, excuse me, functional medicine about a decade ago. So on the integrative side, I sort of self-trained and it was, I think the year I got the position, I think was the first year of the Arizona fellowship in integrative medicine. Okay, I Became friendly with some of those fellows. So there wasn't as many training opportunities. So I mainly went to conferences and read and self-trained. Um, what is that difference in the integrator? Oh, yeah, well, well but just with the fellowship, you have. Um, what I mean difference between integrated and functional? Oh, so I'm going to say that now. Yes, I'm yeah. sorry. So yeah, now, that's perfect. Sir. Yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah. what I am saying. So I'm curious. Yeah, so then about ten years ago, I started to do some training with the through the Institute for Functional Medicine, and there are different places that uh, you know different ways to learn functional medicine, but I've done all my training through the Institute for Functional Medicine, and I just think they do a really good job. And, mm-hmm. So what is functional medicine? boy, we're 30 minutes into this. I don't know we finally got to answer this one. yeah well so and how does it differentiate itself? And again, this is my take on it. I think and, and increasingly because a lot of integrative docs are getting this training, I think the line is blurring between integrative and functional I mean historically necessarily fascinating. No, okay. it isn't. I okay. mean historically what I would say is that most functional docs are sort of integrative, but the inter- integrative docs aren't necessarily functional okay because the functional medicine really requires additional training. Mm -hmm. that is often a lot of sort of nutritional biochemistry.
0: Yeah. Um, Okay. That's, and and again,
1: now the lines are less blurred, but, but I mean, for me, the idea of how food upregulates inflammation, for example, and addressing joint pain by changing someone's diet to downregulate NF Kappa B and other inflammatory pathways or other aspects of lifestyle and thinking of it from that perspective and the, and literally the effects on the biological systems and what we can do to put those systems back into balance, to me that's the core of a functional medicine approach.
0: Can I, real quick, because yes. I want to highlight that, because I feel like a lot of people don't understand that
1: because in the PT realm,
0: I'll, you know, we can throw everything from a physical therapy rehabilitative standpoint and people can't get better. And then I'll talk, talk about lifestyle and nutrition change and say how that can affect an inflammatory and pain response and that connection's not made. So I want just, just to be clear that you can make nutritional lifestyle changes and that can help with inflammation and pain. Like we, we are sure of that from a research standpoint.
1: Sure. I mean, what we don't have is we don't have, we may not know exactly. we don't have a number of yeah. large clinical trials because, um, those are hard trials to get funded. Yep. You know, pharmaceutical industry isn't doing those, and, you know, there's other reasons. I mean, NIH and other sort of federal funds are beginning to get more open to looking at some of those approaches, but um, they can be a little harder to design and what have you. We do understand the physiology. So what I would often say about the evidence for functional medicine is there's a lot of the basic science evidence. There's more limited clinical evidence, but boy, when you practice that way, I mean, it, it's sort of a win-win. I mean, you know, what you're doing is making healthy, by and large, lifestyle recommendations for people. And mm-hmm. so, you know, okay, if all their joint pain didn't go away, it's still good for them anyways. And again, yeah. you know, that's one way to look at it. I mean, yeah. so, the, but to be more clear, and again, and the, the lines are more blurred. So if there's some integrative docs listening, oh, wait a minute, I do that too. You know, I'm not trying to insult anyone. But historically, if, I'll say for me, when I practiced integrative medicine before I got the functional medicine training, what I was doing, even though I would make lifestyle recommendations, that's because I was thinking of people holistically. So if you came in and you had low back pain, I might send you for physical therapy, I might send you for acupuncture, but if you're 30 pounds overweight, I was probably gonna recommend diet or have you see the nutritionist. Mm -hmm. I was gonna get you exercising if you were sedentary because I saw that low back pain and, and really you coming into my office as the opportunity to help get you on a path to help your life overall, okay? But a lot see of the patient
0: as an opportunity. That's well, I saw you point I'm saying that as in a good way, that's a really good way to look at.
1: something. Yeah. And for their life, their opportunity, I'm sorry, yeah. they have pain, but they could go. This could really open up to a healthier life. Every overall. Patient walks in my right? I can't
0: wait to make help you on this path to better health, better life, because we focus on quality.
1: So that's more holistic. We can yeah. talk about that in many different ways. But the interventions I will recommend I was recommending at least were by and large treating the end-stage manifestation, right? So you came in with low back pain, acupuncture can help, massage can help, you should get physical, not that there wasn't something going on physiologically, but I was thinking about it from a different perspective. And as I began to get more of the functional medicine training and understanding more of really going back and restudying Mm -hmm. sort of the, the physiology of many of our biological systems, whether it's sort of the immune system or what have you, and then understanding in more depth Where different interventions, nutritional interventions, dietary supplements, other things can impact on those biological systems to try to put them back into balance. To me, that then really falls more into what functional medicine is all about. And again, those lines are kind of blurred. Um. Uh, but, and it's not like a functional medicine doc wouldn't recommend acupuncture. It's just that there's this sort of additional training.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now that's a tough thing to conceptualize. I mean,
1: yeah, I don't know if I was clear with it, but no,
0: uh, I mean you were. but it's like, you know, where are you having the impact, like on the end stage or trying to make an impact kind of maybe at a gut biome level as opposed to, there's a great example. Know, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, people are starting to understand that now that your gut biome is very, very important and how that in and of itself, like I just said before, can treat a lot of these problems that are manifesting outwardly through anxiety, through orthopedic pain, what have you.
1: And I would say, you know, to your point, most integrative docs, not many conventional too, but most integrative docs that you see nowadays, understand about the microbiome, microbiota, they're going to talk about it, you know, potentially. Mm -hmm. I would just say that wasn't as much the case 10 years ago you know right. i mean again the functional medicine docs were talking about that the integrative not so much and now it's kind of you know yeah. it's melded more than it than it yeah. used to be i talk
0: about the curves like we had modern medicine and it made all these amazing things penicillin whatever and we had to reach a peak at some point where we kind of threw away a lot of these holistic yeah. eastern philosophy things and now i realize that, oh man these things are important so we're kind of hopefully going to find that you set a balance between these two things. And
1: just as an example, I was just in San Diego two weeks ago at the Academy for Integrative Health and Medicine conference. So this is like the integrative medicine board, uh, you know, academy that you train through and you get your boards. If you want to, one of the lectures I was in by this guy, Michael Stone, who's a well-known, very bright functional medicine physician, you know, and known for that, Mm -hmm. who talked about functional nutrition. You know, that was one of the lectures at the Integrative Medicine Conference. So, again, that's why I think, you know, we're really seeing a blurring of the lines because you're really cross-pollinating in terms of some of the content.
0: Right. And that's where I wanted more education and where I wanted to find somebody. is Not necessarily because I feel like if you find somebody functional medicine-wise, they're only, and this is my own, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you're, they're only going to recommend these biome natural lifestyle supplementation. They're not going to do anything that's more modern medicine. That's doing prescriptions. Like I like the melding of the two because there's a time and place for antibiotic. There's maybe not, it's probably too much, right? But at some point it's who's going to be the melding of the two. It seems like we do either have one side or the other. There's nobody like yourself. Who's kind of putting those two things together and realizing sometimes this is appropriate. Sometimes this is appropriate. I don't need to lay my flag down. Just yeah. on this
1: one thing. Well, and I would say there are many of us, um, this has always been a little controversial but i think there are many of us who believe that the term integrative and functional should just go away right I mean, all we want to do is
0: it's all medicine at the, same practice time. Yes. the best
1: medicine possible right and so there's medicine where there's evidence and there's medicine where there isn't and it doesn't mean when there's a lack of evidence or minimal it doesn't mean you shouldn't do that but mm-hmm. you should understand you know the degree of evidence that exists but okay. but at the end of the day it's what is the best evidence available and or not as you know what's the best approach available for me right as a patient,
0: patient
1: based on my beliefs what i want my goals and all that factors into an evidence-based approach to even practice even the yeah. even the way it's described in the conventional literature it's not practicing medicine based on large randomized control trials that box of an evidence-based approach is certainly one of the components but it also includes a patient's preferences and actions you know, in other aspects, uh, clinical state and circumstances, your own clinical experience, yeah. all of that factors in to taking an evidence-based approach. And and I think that's at times misunderstood by some clinicians who say, well, show me the randomized control trial. Well, just because it doesn't exist doesn't mean you're not practicing evidence-based medicine. Right. Because even on the conventional side, there's maybe randomized control trials, if I forget the latest, a third of what we do maybe uh, large randomized control trials. And so- you know, it's using the best evidence available with some of the other aspects that I just mentioned. So, you know, in that regard, really, it's just, what is the best option? What's the best way to help the person who's right in front of me in this moment?
0: Yeah, we've, we've, in the physical therapy realm, it's changing a little bit too. There's a lot of challenges now with dry needling, acupuncture and manual therapy. Is it doing what we think it's doing? And I wish, you know, I, I knew exactly, but evidence-based medicine kind of standing on three pillars and they're changing it different now to almost like a pyramid or like a cone where it's like, you know, evidence-based medicine, plus your, like you said, how you've treated in your experience, plus patient beliefs and all those, you know, narrowing the glass until you find out exactly what you need for that patient as opposed to one versus the other. I I love that version of health. Like it's just, like you said, that's, it should be just healthcare Mm -hmm. as opposed to it maybe this just needs to happen to get to the other side, but I think
1: it, I agree with it's changing. It. It's evolving. You know, um, there's a number of signs of that. I mean, even there's a consortium of academic health centers. These are like the medical schools that, you know, it's over 75 schools at this point. That's more than half of all medical schools belong, have integrative programs, you know, so there's really like some that real that. shifts afloat. Yeah. That that's, uh, it really is interesting. Yeah. I want to come back just to finish, maybe make one other point if I sure. may. Um, because sort of finishing off the story of how, you know, how I got to where I'm at now and the the background with the martial arts. So I said to to you earlier, the story that I used to tell was about this sort of exposure to East Asian philosophy and Tai Chi and other things. and, And this desire of, well, you know, this question of why we didn't integrate more of it. And that's true. Maybe about four or five years ago now, though, I, you know, I was, I was at Duke uh, running their integrative program, their health and wellness, their, their diet center and their fitness center, as well as Duke integrative medicine. You know, I, I was preparing some talks and, and just sort of doing a little soul searching and, you know, I, I, um, I mean, I kind of had this thing where like, gosh, all that I was able to do felt like, like I had a really blessed career. And I felt like my parents still had no idea what I did. You know, they didn't quite get this integrative thing either, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, um, and I spent some time talking to colleagues, kind of refining my own thinking, some of which you've just heard, you know, in yep. terms of those three points. And again, which aren't all mine, but, you know, like sort of resonated and I refined them to the way I was thinking. Yeah. The newer realization, though, that kind of dots that connected for me was and how this related to my martial arts background was this idea that, you know, um, if I could jump six feet in the air right now and break a board, you might be impressed. Uh, I would be impressed. I would, I, be impressed, that. Sure. I, I, I would. you know, my leg would fall off. But no, I, <laughs> I could not do that. But let's say that I could, you know, but it, what's the point? It's not exactly a marketable skill. I mean, unless I'm in Cirque du Soleil or, you know, I mean, I guess career-wise, if I chose to stay there as a martial arts instructor, but and, and for me, what I came to realize in the way it related to the way I practice medicine now and what I'm interested in is it, it's more about what did it take to get there? You know, you set this goal. And, and so, as I was saying earlier, this idea of exploring the potential inside of myself, mm-hmm. you know, could I could I get to a place physically where I could jump six feet in the air and break a board? And what would it take? How much mental determination and discipline would that take? Right. And, and if I could get and reach in that goal, what goal couldn't I achieve in my life? And so that philosophically certainly has, has really resonated with me and, and both in my life and my career. And then I began to realize how it really shaped the way I look at patient care and, and you know, in a similar way. And this idea of what can we do, let's say, as healthcare providers or a healthcare system and beyond because it takes a village if you will sure to help people to explore the potential inside of themselves and again as it relates to their sense of well-being broadly defined and so that isn't to say of course that we should all be able to jump six feet and break a board but how good can we feel and how good can we feel physically how good can we feel mentally and how good can we feel spiritually right and and again i think that may vary for us on given days and given moments throughout a day, but in general, you know, what can we do to sort of explore that potential? Yeah. And it's just
0: about having that conversation. That conversation has not been had.
1: Often it has not. Certainly right. not in a doctor's office. Correct. We could argue whether that's the exact right location for it. You know, I, 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 pers- I would argue it was, but that's my
0: personal bias, you know, well, uh, I, I a might practitioner's office, maybe not an MD, but
1: I yeah. think it'd be appropriate my opinion. I mean, I think part of that conversation has to happen there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've become a big fan of health coaches. uh, And, you know, I'm a little biased because I did at one point oversee the program at Duke, you know, administratively, the training of health coaches at Duke Duke Integrative Health Coaches and actually uh, just finished. I'm so interested in health coaching. I just finished the training myself literally last week uh, because I really have been trying to incorporate it into the things that I'm doing career wise. And, you know, these health coaches are really people that are trained in sort of the science of behavior change and also in how to really communicate effectively with someone to get at what they want their health for and then work through this coaching process in partnership that really allows them to come to sort of a solution around what they want to focus on as it relates to their well-being and how they are going to act to ultimately get results. And so... That takes time, that process. I, you know, I, I think there are aspects of it that I was trained in as a physician, you know, certainly
0: stages of change,
1: ask. you know, yeah. stages of change and, you know, this trans—I like pre-contemplative, contemplative, you know, you get some kind of how to be an effective listener. But I found that the training as an integrative health coach at Duke sort of took it to a whole other level, which felt really good both, you know, to be able to interact and because and, and you practice, but you kind of do it real and and mm-hmm. And and have that kind of relationship with, you know, someone, but but also as the coach to be able to take the time to engage in that level of conversation where you're really connecting at a deeper level with someone and how therapeutic that felt. And uh, even prior to coming over here this morning, I was working for actually a number of hours kind of refine a workshop I'm working on for burnout. And one of the things that really so
0: position by now.
1: It is physician, but it's beyond physicians. I mean, you know, cause we're, we're all potentially burnt out and not, you know, I mean, rampant in the yeah, I mean, there are certain aspects of the practice of medicine as a physician that are, that are maybe a little nuanced, but in general, the concepts are very similar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that certainly happened, and I'll speak from the medical physician burnout uh, aspect for a moment is that, you know, that connection with patients has been really taken away uh, for a number of reasons. I mean, I think very often now the electronic health record gets in the way. Uh, even for me, I mean, I, you know, I was like, wow, I do that too. Cause you just, you gotta, even though I had a more time than typical patients in my integrative practice, yeah. I still have patients piling up and you're like, well, let me get this note done. I'm going to listen, but I'm going to type at the same time. And, mm-hmm. you know, that re- it really zaps. And then of course, in a more traditional conventional practice, you know, as a primary care doc trying to see 25 patients or whatever it is in a day. There's just, I mean, how much can you connect with someone when you've got seven or 11 minutes for a visit? And yeah. so, you know, sometimes you can, and again, in those, the, the, the new wellness, the, you know, the, the annual physical or whatever there's some of that yeah. time, but, but that really is, I think, zapped a lot of our energy uh, and and sort of the sense of purpose and meaning. And so just a, amongst a number of things that have affected us as it relates to burnout. But um Anyway, so I kinda of Yeah.
0: Lied. No, I mean it's probably the reason I got in healthcare, I don't know about you, but is to make those connections and to make a positive change in people's health. Not you know what I mean? Most people got into healthcare that way. Usually maybe if you didn't want as much patient interactive care, you may have been a surgeon or something like who spent a little bit less time and focused more on other things. But yeah, as a primary care provider, as a PT, that's that's why yeah. we went to school. That's why we
1: went, chose that profession. It is, but I would say this, the current economic model, which is unlikely to change significantly anytime soon, you know, depending on the kind of living we want to make, just doesn't allow, or the setting we want to work in, if I'm working as an employed physician, for example, just doesn't yeah. allow most, most healthcare providers to be able to sort of take that time. That's why I've become a real fan of health coaches. Not that we should just take away, we should look at ways of, helping providers to be able to reconnect all yep. healthcare providers and spend more time. But in addition, this role of the health coach integrated into a team of, of providers, I mm-hmm. think is at least part of the solution, part of the solution for kind of, you know, aspects of what ALR, our current health system yep. and helping people to make the right kind of behavior change that they need to make, which is, as you know, for your listeners, I mean, the chronic diseases that account for 75% plus percent of the cost of health care and, you know, that, um, account for 75% of the reasons why people die or, you know, most of those are preventable or at least partially or, and or partially treatable through behavior change, right. And lifestyle modification. And so there's the value proposition in all of that. And, and, you know, it's kind of figuring out how to integrate it and you know, and, and ultimately having reimbursement shift in a way, I mean, studying it, understanding that it does make a difference, ultimately leading to reimbursement shifting in a way that we can have better team-based care where people bring all of their expertise to the table, I think is going to be hopefully part yeah. of the solution.
0: That's a big animal right there. It Just is a big talk, animal. You know what I mean? Because being able to make that significant of a change um, and how to measure that and how to reimburse for that is tough. you know, I mean, that's to, to talk about. Which you kind of alluded to reimbursement and how you didn't have enough time and, and how you may not make enough money. I mean, that's why we chose private pay physical therapy. That's why you know now I'm doing coaching on a yeah national level through other PTs so they can make that transition. Because the same thing, they're getting burnout, they're having to see anywhere from 12, 15, 16 patients, double booking, triple booking. You can't really get the connection you get before, and now I'm spending one hour with somebody one on one and I can develop that connection, not always. Within an hour, pretty close, you know. You get an hour of somebody you can usually focus
1: right, on. Right, mean, I think I'm correct. If you can correct me if, if I'm not, I mean, with the PT world, I mean, now you need to have like PT assistants and you're running yep. multiple rooms and you're the PT going in and you boop, boop, boop. You literally put boop. your hands on somebody to right. move on or, or assess move, move on. Right, no so connection. you can get that volume in, and, yep. and that's the way the economic model has evolved. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people need to pay their bills, but as you've said, it's not the best way to truly connect and, yeah. and, and,
0: I mean, I always hope that at some point reimbursement will change and I can go back into the insurance-based realm because it's still a difficult conversation to have with patients. It's tough to get them sometimes in the door. But till that changes, I'm not – as long as I can support my family and stay afloat, I'm going to stay in this model as long as humanly possible. And I just wonder if it's going to be a dichotomy where it's going to be all cash, private pay, more integrative approaches, and you're just going to have to pay extra for that. Or, you know, hopefully at some point it gets – put into the system that would be ideal I just don't see that I mean I'd like to see that happening yeah. I want to say that can happen near I mean, the better pulse than I do but I just think it's a tough transition to make
1: well again you know my my take on that is that um it won't happen or it will happen in a very limited way mm-hmm. um, until and unless there is evidence to show that you get better outcomes at less cost to right. be honest, and that's not to be cynical. I just think that, you know, um, and, and that's not even inappropriate. I mean, you know, I mean, no, just, yeah. I mean, it, it, you
0: want to know that you're paying for something that it's going to have an effect.
1: It's going mean, right. to, The issue
0: is if you're talking about human behavior, <laughs> how complex is that? It, it, you know, am I the one that made the effect? It could have been my grandmother who grabbed me on the cheek and told me, hey, you should, you know, eat healthy. That's who may, could have made the effect. And who right. knows if it was the MD who did. So yeah, it's just a slippery slope. Something I should talk about. For yeah. Course, well, and, and,
1: and to your point too, I mean, in, in, until, and if that change is made, we, we will, you know, have a relatively two tiered system, right? You know, right. And, which is
0: not ideal, but at least, at least now people have the option to go find a health coach and go get that information where they know they have yeah. options, right? That's the big thing. You don't, you need to have, be able to have options. I can't, I have a, I'm sick. I have the flu. I can go get an antibiotic or now I can go see somebody else who maybe be able to offer me some other options to get my yeah. body healthy and well, as opposed to just one.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, I have worked in various settings. I mean, I, you know, uh, including Newark, New Jersey, which mm-hmm. was very underserved. And one of the areas that I've become interested in and, and I'm trying to educate myself more on, again, going back to this coaching model is the idea of group, group coaching because uh, there you can bring the price down. You can also address something that I think is is a critical issue, and not just me, and the literature's there too, which is loneliness. Sure. You know, the, the advantage of the group dynamic, obviously, is that uh, people potentially can connect with others. And, so and,
0: um, you know, I mean, it's
1: just that whole area is so interesting and, and so critically important. Loneliness really being an epidemic in this country. And at least some of the literature suggests equivalent to smoking fifteen cigarettes oh. a day in terms of its impact on your health. Wow. Wow. That's that's I've not heard that before. I yeah. like that one a lot. I mean, look
0: at the trend of group fitness, which I think is a to point is a point to that. The explosion of CrossFit, the explosion of these group yeah. cycle bar, we're all going the community is being formed in these gyms, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's great, right? So like a lot of people's social interactions, communities are around there, which is, you know, we're hoping they're getting good information there, but it's a really cool way to,
1: you know, combat loneliness. Without a doubt. And, and in fact, if anything, I think we're often not proactive enough about thinking about things like exercise from that perspective. We think about it as, well, this is how I'm going to get in better shape, but there is other things you could do. And, and I'll just give you an example from my work, because we moved here relatively, you know, short time ago, a year and a half ago. And there's a gym right in our neighborhood. But I, when I moved, I, I had been doing Orange Theory Fitness for about for a number of years and really liked it. Mm-hmm. It was starting to beat me up a little bit because with this hip and getting, you know, and I don't know how to. It's a lot of
0: cardio. Well, and I don't know how to go
1: half speed. So that, yeah. that but that's me. All right. Yeah, and, and yes. That's Something I'm working on. But um, exercise fanatic. <laughs> but at one point, you know, I, I, in looking at my own life and well-being, one of the aspects I wanted to focus on both for me and my wife was both, both us doing more together, you Mm -hmm. know, we kind of just do a lot of things around the kids and the kids are getting older and most are out of the house now, but also meeting more people in our neighborhood. And so I literally prioritized us going to some of the exercise classes we did, my wife and I at the gym, that's five minutes from the house. And I will tell you, I think the workout was better. So to quote unquote at orange theory, it still was a good workout going to the boot camp and, you know, uh, did I quite get my heart up? A sec- no, but it was certainly good enough and not that you don't meet people at Orange Theory, but I was meeting people in my neighborhood and quite frankly, people more my age again, yeah. not that there aren't people my age there at Orange Theory, but these were like, and, and my wife was doing the same. So we were like, we were going together. So that was nice for the two of us. And yeah. so I sort of said, well, wait a minute, you know, I'm going to prioritize going here because it, it, it really checks off a number of aspects Within my wheel of health, uh, you know, as it relates to my well-being. And and you know, we often don't step back and look at some events in our lives from that perspective. How do they more broadly potentially impact on our well-being? And mm-hmm. I think we need to do that more.
0: Yeah, that'll go right into perfect segue. So I ask everybody this question on the podcast. And what is your definition of health? Like what is your definition of a healthy person? If you had to give your own definition, Dr. Perlman's definition. Yeah. I know it's a big can of worms. And, you know, first thing that pops in your mind, you don't have to.
1: Well, I mean, I think um, it's a very interesting question that I've actually worked into a part of a presentation that I give at times because this sort of World Health Organization definition of health that really talks about like you know, basically absence of disease and, and, you know, which basically would mean like none of us are ever healthy at any given point. Like who doesn't have something going on, right? I mean, (laughs) at some point, right? So, you know, uh, for me, what's most important is um, how does the individual define that for themselves, right? So I see health, you know, certainly as being related to at least three aspects, you know, you could say mental, physical, excuse me, mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health, mm-hmm. at least. And of course, then we get into financial health and other things, but that all interrelate. Yeah. But from a physician's perspective, I, I see it as incorporating those three aspects. And, you know, I, I see it as a, as a journey, not a destination. Yeah. You know, I see it as, so it's not like, well, when you have this, now you are healthy. But it's also when you don't have this, now you're not unhealthy. You know, you are on this journey, you exist on a continuum in any given point. Mm-hmm. And there are things in your life that are working well for you, and then there are things from a from a health perspective defined more broadly, and there are things that maybe aren't working so well. And and it's about continuing to strengthen what's good and to, you know, try to lessen what is not as good as you'd like it to be. And and yep. So I guess that's the way I would answer it, which is maybe a non-answer, but to say no, no. Way, I mean, we've it's a process it. more than it is a destination. I yeah.
0: Guess. Yeah. There's not this one version of I've never made it right. Yeah. Like it's kind of the entrepreneurial thing. Like you've never made it. You're always moving forward and trying to go on to the next thing, continue to optimize, continue to perform yeah. at your very best. And yeah.
1: I, I liked, uh, I'm going to mess this up, but there's a quote by, I think it's Martha Graham was a famous dance instructor and, you know, the the gist of it was that I think she was asked like if you were like a famous like dancer I'm a Barishnikov or someone who's uh, some of your younger listeners may not even know who that is but you know whatever I, you know I think she was asked like, why would you ever continue to practice like you're already the best dancer in the world like how good do you need right. to be and and she made some you know s- the basic quote was that you know amazing famous whatever great dancers should be the challenge is to be happy but dissatisfied yeah and again i kind of it resonated with me and i may be butchering the quote or whatever the main point being you know be happy in your life hopefully but also continue to feel like there's more potential for you right i want a little bit more i feel good and i'm you know i'm in good shape and i'm eating you know but maybe that's the definition of health to be
0: happy but a little dissatisfied, <laughs> you, you know, I mean, I've had the many conversations with friends. We've talked a lot about that because it's, it's a very good point. Like, and there's always that balance, that dichotomy. Yeah. That sometimes you're a little more dissatisfied than you are happy. And sometimes you're a little too content and need to rant that it's just, you know, it's, a well, you know,
1: which has hit, hit me too, working on this burnout presentation this morning. And, you know, one of the slides I was working on was this graph that I did not come up with, but, you know, it looks at the stress continuum and, peak performance is right in the middle and too much stress. If you're anxious, you're fearful, whatever, you're not sleeping, not enough stress. Mm -hmm. And you were like, sort of not caring, not motivated. Like, I don't know. This is the way this slide that, you know, was, and I think it's interesting, you know, it was sort of where are we, you know, when we're sort of at our peak,
0: we use that in the rehab world all the time. Cause think of a bone that's in a cast, which has zero stress. What happens to that bone? Right. Right. And then a bone that has some weightlifting, is good and strong, but you do too much, snap, right? So like there's this, it's it's a world we're very comfortable with because I'm always trying to find just enough stress to get a good response but not so much that we right. get a negative one. No, that's what so mean? cool. Man, we, okay, we gotta cut it off though. We're almost an right. hour. It'll cut me off in an hour. So we're gonna okay. try to um, run through these really quick.
1: All right. What are you best at? I'll try to be quick, but it's not my forte. Well, sorry. <laughs> Um, you have a minute. So what yeah. am I best at? My yeah. goodness. Well, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna say I'm a good listener. You're a good listener. I'm gonna say I'm a good listener because um, you know I, I legitimately care about people and and um. I, yep. You know, and and so I when I listen, that's coming from a place of caring and love and compassion. Where can
0: people find out more about you? You're going to have to cut it off.
1: We'll do, we're will going to do oh. part
0: two for sure, hopefully.
1: Because I, I yeah. was going to say why I'm a bad listener, too, because no, no, I no. figured you were coming where my I worst. I wish, but we didn't. No, you know, anyway, so, uh, so uh yeah, sure. I mean, I actually have a website that I'm not selling anything. I just give medical information, like, you know, interesting information, not medical, interesting information about health. Dr. Adam And so it's Dr. D-R-A-D-A-M. Perlman is P-E-R-L-M-A-N, not P-E-A-R. So Dr. Adam Perlman dot com or Uh, Twitter is at dradamperlman, and then Instagram is docperls, D-O-C-P-E-R-L-Z. I'll
0: link to that stuff in the show notes. I hope you guys had a blast. Thanks so much for joining us. What's up, everybody? Eve here. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healthy Charleston Podcast. If you did, we would love for you to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes and please leave us any comments we're always looking to improve or recommend a guest. Yes, we take recommendations. Also, if you want to learn a little bit more about us and our health and human performance clinic where we do physical therapy and performance training, please go check out madetomovept.com. Again, that's made the number 2 movept.com. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.